0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul rees Mandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here.
1: And hi, I'm Jennifer Waits.
0: So today, uh, we're going to dig into college radio, but we're going to dig into a set of colleges and universities we haven't ever really touched on on specifically, and those are historically black colleges and universities, which it should surprise nobody. Many of them also have radio stations, and then we're also dipping into their archives, as they may or may not exist. Jennifer, what what brought this this topic onto your radar?
1: Well, there was an article about an amazing project that's happening right now, uh, being led by Jocelyn Robinson, and she is basically doing a survey, reaching out to learn more about collections of archives at historically black colleges and university radio stations, And that piqued my interest because i am interested in college radio archives generally and so i was excited to hear about this project that's taking a look at a very specific slice of college radio
0: yeah and one of the things that that jocelyn will explain to us is that um hbcus as they're known often play this very pivotal role in, in community life and in cultural life uh, for African Americans uh where in the places where these universities are situated which sort of adds a whole additional layer additional magnification I think to the to the importance of, of that work so it's it's really great that uh Jocelyn took some time to talk with us uh, about that project
2: yeah I mean it's it's like everywhere you go a college station I mean or a community radio station on a college campus or you know, integrated into a college campus, is going to be um, a, a very useful way to understand a community, to understand a place. And so the notion of preserving the sounds of college radio at these historically black colleges and universities is definitely um, a very exciting story for us at Radio Survivor. And, and what a great guest.
1: We're on the line with Jocelyn Robinson, the project director of the HBCU radio station archival survey project. Jocelyn, welcome to Radio Survivor. Thanks for having me. So you're in the midst of a really exciting project to document a very specific type of college radio material, audio at historically black college and university radio stations. So I wanted to just, first of all, um, have you explain Um, what a historically black college and university is to our audience.
3: Well, it's a designation that was established by the Higher Education Act of 1965. HBCUs are colleges that were established prior to 1964, and their mission is to educate uh, African Americans. That's,
1: That's pretty much it. So HBCU is the acronym, and so you're looking specifically at radio stations that are at HBCUs, um, and, and so I'm curious, what prompted the project? It's kind of a long
3: story. I have a background in African-American history and culture. I uh, have worked with the African-American museum community for some time, and uh, at a certain point I switched to higher education and um, I have a master's degree in cultural studies with a concentration in race, gender, and identity and I have eight years of experience as a Title III director at a historically black college. Uh, Title III is a, an institutional development grant that's made uh, through um, two to HBCUs, it goes through the president's office, and it really uh, is an in, influx of, of resources, of federal resources across d- divisions in, in the universities. And in 2013, I took a production course at WISO and got bit by the bug <laughs> the radio bug what
1: kind of, What kind of radio station is WYSO?
3: WYSO is a uh, public radio station that uh, was originally founded at Antioch College by students in 1958 and there's a very robust uh, community-based p- program to train uh, local people to make content for the radio it's called community voices and uh, it Got started in 2011 and it's still going strong. And uh, has has trained probably several hundred people to make to make radio. And uh, of that those those folks, you know, a handful of us uh, are are devoted uh, uh, audio makers at this point. And in 2015, I quit my day job to do it um, more. Uh, consistently. And uh, at that time, I had been working with WYSO's archival uh, material. Through the American Archive of Public Broadcasting pilot project uh, back in 2009, 10 or so, WYSO was able to digitize uh, about 300 hours of historical audio going back to the 1950s. But most oh, wow. of it was, most of it was in the 60s and 70s.
1: And a little bit into the 80s. And was that, so that was like student radio material?
3: For the most part, but, you know, there was a, it morphed from a student station into more of a community station and then into a public station. So it's had a bit of a, you know, a trajectory in that that direction. So much of the material was uh, civil rights era, uh, and into the Vietnam era, so really interesting stuff. Uh, a lot of national figures came to the Antioch campus to speak with students, to give lectures, etc. And uh, the the materials really fascinating. So I served as the as the station's archive fellow for several years, and I produced a, a show called Rediscovered Radio, mm. in which I used the archival audio to provide context for things that are going on in the world today. And, uh, so it was a combination of interviews, the archival material, and my own take on, on things to some degree. And I just felt like, uh, if WISO has such a rich, uh, trove of of historical material. Because frankly, many of the voices in that uh, collection are uh, Martin Luther King, Ralph Abernathy, Stokely Carmichael, Alice Walker, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, Flo Kennedy. I mean, the the list is is long. Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) And and I've made pieces uh, around all of these um, uh, folks. And uh, so I felt like if WYSO has a collection like this. What might exist at HBCUs, knowing that out of the 105 or so HBCUs that, that still exist, there are about, still in existence, 29 radio stations. Hmm. And so a third of HBCUs have radio stations. And uh, I knew this because working at Central State, where WCSU is located, uh, it, it ha- is credited with having the first FCC license uh, of an HBCU uh, radio station in 1962. So oh. um, so I, I had a little bit of a, a connection there, but I, I, it was ch- curiosity. And so that curiosity was really um, nurtured when I uh, went back to school after I quit my day job to get a grad certificate in archives and uh, went to Wright State University's public history program which is a very fine program and uh, in the course of doing a uh, class assignment I learned about a guy named Sam Brilowski who worked at the the Library of Congress and who um, had was quoted in a very interesting article um, that was in the Rolling Stone about digital preservation of, of materials at re- music recording studios, how uh, reissues of the best of kind of albums was getting difficult because in the early digital era, uh, there was very little metadata attached to these early digital files and masters were being lost. And uh, it was it was difficult to, to reissue some of these um, materials because various tracks were missing. Anyway, wow! I thought that was fascinating and I thought he, he sounded interesting. So when I Googled him, I found out that he was giving the key- keynote address at the very first radio preservation task force conference in Washington. That's and right. Yes, th- I was yep, there. <laughs> yep, yep. So I, I made a deal. Well, I found out about it. I made a deal with my faculty to give me my, uh, uh midterms early so I could go to the the conference with a promise that I would do a presentation on it when I got back and when I got there I sort of fell into that community of radio preservationists and met uh, Sonia Williams who is currently chairing the communications department at uh, Howard University uh, uh, a longtime producer in Washington, D.C., and I was invited to serve on the African-American Civil Rights Radio Caucus of the of the task force, which she chairs. And uh, it's, so that, you know, the rest is history kind of thing. Uh, I've, I've been involved um, uh, with that larger group talking about the issues of preservation, um, of, of audio preservation, and just... You know, uh, having that curiosity again nurtured by by folks uh, who are curious themselves.
1: Well, and it, and what I like about your project is, you know, I'm very interested in college radio archives and history, and it's a bit overwhelming. Uh, so I like that yours is at least finite. You know the number of stations that exist, and and you can actually try to track them. So. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're trying to survey the landscape of what is housed at different historically black college and university radio stations. Could you, could you describe a little bit, is there a typical HBCU college radio station, or are they just as diverse as every other college radio station?
3: Well, they're just as diverse as HBCUs they're incredibly diverse. They're large, they're small, they're rural, they're urban, they're public, they're private. Uh, The radio stations are um, sometimes public uh, radio affiliated with NPR, sometimes commercial based. Some of them have a very strong relationship with their um, institutions as a teaching uh, tool. Uh, Some of them are a little bit more removed from that. Uh, But it so it they're they're incredibly diverse and um and though the number is finite it is a number that is something of a moving target and a shifting target because uh in the I know of at least 3 radio stations that have sold their licenses mm. and uh one of them uh was Shaw University that was only in 2018 Fayetteville State University in the, in the UNC system uh, sold theirs to WUNC in uh, 2015. So there's a, a, a bit of urgency around at least identifying the, 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 the landscape, as you say, because the FCC license is an institutional asset. And when an institution is at risk, which some HBCUs are and many colleges are in this yeah. day and age. That, so it's, that's not something that's unique to HBCUs. But those assets can be turned into cash to keep the lights on and keep the doors open of, of a college, So, uh, which is one of the reasons why WISO... Uh, did the, the, the work, put in the effort to uh, fundraise and, and purchase their own license and, and kind of strike off on their own. Not so much because Antioch College is, is at risk, but, but the, the, the landscape for liberal arts colleges is, is sometimes pretty bleak. So, um, yeah, that, that doesn't have to be a factor in what goes on at the station.
1: So Jocelyn Robinson is on the line, we're talking about her project, well she is the project director of the HBCU radio station archival survey project, and, and we're talking about what you're up to with, with understanding this landscape of college radio station archives at historically black colleges and universities. Why, why do you think it's so important to catalog the audio at these college radio stations?
3: Well, uh, there's a couple of different reasons, and one of them is that HBCUs tend to be keepers of culture in our communities, in in Black communities, particularly in the Southeast. They are, uh, you know, they, to to my mind, they are hallowed ground, and I believe it's incredibly important to to preserve and protect the legacy that that the institutions. Uh, have and and as and as they are represented in their in their radio stations Uh, You know, I I, I think it's as simple as that. They're they're important to uh, their communities. They're important to, you know, larger uh, uh, higher ed um, uh, the higher the larger higher ed universe and um, they're important to American uh, history and, and, and culture so you know, I I think it's, for me, it's, again, it's kind of a a sacred uh, duty to to protect and and preserve them.
1: And can you, can you give us a glimpse of some of what you've found so far as you've been going out, visiting radio stations, interviewing people about their collections?
3: Well, first, I have to say that I'm not finding what I had hoped to find Mm -hmm. initially, which was would have been collections. Mm. Um, What I'm finding is... I guess I use that word loosely. (laughs) Yes. um, uh, What I'm finding is that in um, a number of cases, the institutions don't have the infrastructure for collecting historical materials that are related to their radio stations. Um, The radio stations themselves, I think, are very much dependent on the general manager at the time. In some cases, there's two, one or two professional uh, staff. Uh, And keeping the service on the air is the priority. The next priority is, is serving students. So everything else is peripheral. Everything else is auxiliary. And uh, that, so that preservation piece uh, at, at a higher ed insti- institution really falls to the institutional archives. And in many cases, I don't know if it's the ephemeral nature of radio or what exactly, but there isn't a relationship between the institutional archives, which primarily collects um, paper materials, and and collections that are readily identifiable, say as the president's papers or what have you, um, but they they aren't collecting uh, audiovisual materials necessarily. Sometimes a some a few items might make it into the formal collections, but uh, that that's been rare that I have have noted so far, and. I have not had 100% response rate Mm. with the the initial survey. So there could be collections out there that I just don't know about yet. But for those that have responded and those that I have visited thus far, if there are uh, outdated historical materials, they generally are few and far between. They may be stored in an off-site location that no one has time to really go to or take me to at this point. And, uh, you know, so I've, I have found a handful of things, but it's it's what it has done for me has pointed out the, the incredible need for the radio staff and the institutional archives staff or the library staff whomever is doing the the collecting on on campus to begin a dialogue so that uh, preservation plans and disaster plans and all sorts of, of, of conversations can take place um, between the two one of the things that is is doubly important is, in addition to these historical materials these radio stations are producing content right this moment as yeah. we speak and at they have for the most part all switched to a digital uh, uh platform so that means that digital preservation is an added uh a need as well and even having those conversations about about workflow about metadata schema about redundancy in in uh backing up and that sort of thing those are conversations that also need to be had so it's not exactly what i had thought it would be but it's turned (laughs) into this other thing that's really great because i've been able to 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 uh spur these conversations on on various campuses mm. and in some cases the radio the station manager and the institutional archivist have never met and never spoken wow. and and now they're thinking of ways that they can write a grant together to start thinking about you know how they're going to to preserve the the radio station's materials so in in many ways it's even more uh, fruitful and and interesting and exciting than finding, you know, a uh, 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 forgotten tape of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
1: Right. right, Jocelyn. That it rings true. All of this rings true for me yeah. as i have somebody who visited college radio stations all over the country as well. And um, I think you're absolutely right that often those conversations aren't happening between radio stations and and college archives. It it's sort of a rarity when there is an established archive in special collections or in the library and the university archives. Um, and I also agree that the day-to-day work of a radio station can be overwhelming. And so the archival projects get pushed aside. I, I think often, often these collections are housed elsewhere too. So alumni often have tapes squirreled away. And, and so that, that adds to the complexity for you is that, you know, so there may be some of this material, but it it may be, it may not be on campus anywhere.
3: Right. Oh, right. Um, that was part of, that's been part of the conversation everywhere we've gone. And it's not just students, it's former programmers, you know, with, that may have been professionals or, right. um, uh, you know, station managers who thought, well, this would be important to keep, I'll I'll take it with me when I go. And, you know, I think that is the case almost everywhere. And certainly during periods of time when uh, the being able to record a show and, and keep it, you weren't, it's not like it was going to get uh, it, well, it's, well, it wasn't a podcast that could be played multiple times or something like that. So who else would want it?
2: Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> that, what, you, that, yeah. You, what you need, Jocelyn Robinson, uh, is like a cart that you can produce that they could play on all these stations to ask the the listener community if anybody has any, mm-hmm. you know, cassette tapes in their closets. Um, I know, I know we, Jennifer, you brought a guest on uh, earlier in 2019, where uh, the the, the clue, the missing clue for that detective, uh, as far as radio archives goes, wasn't found until that guest was able to, to get onto the radio station and ask uh, elderly listeners if they remembered anything. Um, I think this was, uh, this was a, a specific uh, Latin American mystery, but um, we're on the line today with Jocelyn Robinson, project director of the Historically Black Colleges and Universities uh, Radio Station Archival Survey Project here on Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein, and with me is uh, Paul Reisman. Uh,
0: Jessel, I, I want to ha- kind of dig down here because I think you have a, a unique position, you have unique experience. Uh, to me, in my mind, in my experience, WYSO stands out as unique in having an archives project. Yeah, and that's, in, that's Antioch College in Ohio? In Ohio, Yellow Springs, Ohio, yes. Um, and. A college radio station. Yeah, a college public radio station, much more so, I think, in in its functioning these days, but still with a lot of community involvement. And it stands out as unique as having a formal archives project. I would say that those don't tend to be in the majority. And you've had experience to work there. And I wonder if you have a sense from from both working in higher education, working at uh, an historically black college, um, and then working there at WYSO. So if you have a sense for for why a place like Antioch College and, and WYSO yeah. has this archives project, if that illuminates it all, why then perhaps uh, these, these other colleges and universities, both HBCUs and, 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 and in general, don't? I don't know if you, if, you, if you have any insights there.
3: Oh, I absolutely do, and it's not what you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well... Full disclosure, I also worked at Antioch College for a time in, in, in a higher ed capacity in, the, in, in um, administration. And back in, believe it was 1991, the radio station moved from the second floor of the Student Union to another building on campus. And when it moved, the tape library was pulled off the shelves and thrown into bags and boxes, hauled across campus to this other building, stuck in a musty storeroom, mm. and there it lay for nearly 25 years. Ah. That is why WISO has a collection, to a large degree.
0: So when it was almost, came- it was almost uh, by benign neglect, would you say? that? Yes. They, so... At the very least, they didn't throw it into yeah, a they dumpster. They didn't throw it away, right? Which, which is right. often what what right. can happen, or they didn't get put somewhere where you wouldn't ever find it again. If it was California real estate instead of Ohio,
2: right? You, you but might but instead, it, right. It, just, it
0: got warehoused somewhere where I guess uh, it also wasn't subject to too many environmental threats.
3: Well, it 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 had a <laughs> bit of uh, threat uh, yeah. there. You know the the it was an older building musty, mildewy. Um, There was a a mold bloom um, after it had been stabilized and there were some difficulties with environmental uh, uh, apparatus. But, um, you know, for the most part, the fact that it was still there in 1991 uh, is a testament to uh, a student-run operation that... Uh, had the wherewithal to have a tape yeah. library, and again, Jocelyn, so, remind,
2: remind listeners of the depth uh, of of that historical record. They, like these tapes, um, they encompassed a lot.
3: Right, they date back to the, uh, February of 1958 when the the radio station went on the air. We do have a recording of the very first broadcast. Wow! And that's amazing. Uh, It really is. It really is. And, and there were, I want to say around 3000 tapes. And, and that's not the tapes that folks have squirreled away in their, in their closets, because I'm sure that that many of the the shows that were student uh, produced, and community produced, have been, had been recorded and those cassettes most likely they were cassettes by that point uh you know went home with somebody mm-hmm. and uh, and there are also a lot of dats that there are, mm-hmm. aren't as many cassettes in this particular collection but there are some and they're floppies so it, it there there is like a floppy it's very transitional yes wow so 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 it's very transitional um and i think uh you know, ha- only having uh, uh, nearly 300 hours of it digitized means that there is a, a quite a great deal more material that really hasn't been uh, looked at in terms of its use or a- as a, uh, you know, a resource outside of, the, of what we, we have available to us right now digitally.
2: And that's just at one college?
3: Just at one college, yeah. One college that at, at its height may have had 2,000 students.
0: So, so what you're saying is that uh, you know through the industry of student leaders and managers at WYSO from the uh, the 50s through the through the 80s, they, they managed to amass this collection of tapes there that then through benign neglect <laughs> was sort of preserved and kept and and, and then and then rediscovered. How many years later, when, when were these tapes unearthed and and folks thought to do something with it there at WYSO in Yellow Springs, Ohio?
3: Well, again, when, when Nina Ellis was hired as the general manager in 2009, she wasn't on the job for but a few weeks when the RFP for the, the American Archive of Public Broadcasting uh, came across her desk and that was the the catalyst was uh, um, you know we have these tapes maybe this is a a funding source to do something with them at least to get them out of the storeroom and 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 stabilize them and that's what happened so they are now housed in a a climate-controlled you know humidity controlled UV controlled space and so they are stable although of course there's deterioration and um the those that were uh, professionally digitized uh, d- in the course of the project had to be baked had yeah. to be you know i mean they they had to go through Yeah that, that means the tapes get literally baked
0: in an oven uh, controlled in order to make sure that they don't fall yeah, apart which means that they will fall apart once they're digitized yeah, it's a yeah.
2: it's a one time right, only right. Uh, it's a very exciting and risky form of preservation So
0: i mean yeah. kind of uh, what you lay out here, Jocelyn, is 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 that doesn't uh, isn't very hopeful in some ways, in general, for a lot of community and, and college radio, uh, because it seems as though, and it's my and it sort of reflects my experience, and I think what what Jennifer sort of mentioned as well, is that much of the time having an archive, having some type of uh, having these resources and assets stored, is is more often by accident than by program or sometimes it seems to have been um in fits right uh, there are right. certain periods represented because as you kind of mentioned maybe student leadership or station leadership for a period uh decided it was important and put some effort into it. But, but, you know, students graduate, uh, professionals move on in their career and cycle through. And it, they're not always turned into long lasting programs. Does that reflect kind of what you're learning and what you're seeing?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, even in the, the HBCUs that I've visited, when there's been a particularly charismatic and and forward thinking GM, uh, there there might be something, not necessarily archival material, but, but growth in the station, you know, more Mm -hmm. wattage, more uh, equipment, uh, a a stronger relationship with the academic program. I mean, it, 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 it it should trickle down into the, the, you know, historical record, but I haven't really found that to be the case Hmm. quite yet, but I wouldn't rule it out because again, uh, we're, even a few steps away from really identifying whether or not a station has uh, archival materials.
1: Hmm. Uh, As as you're mentioning some of those trajectories, I think um, a lot of stations aren't even aware of just their general history. So even I found you know, I found in my research that that sometimes I'm digging into student newspapers to learn more about a radio station's history that often the students aren't aware of. So I th- I think there are often there are these incredible accomplishments that that go unnoted. So, yeah, not only the audio, you know, not only the audio that you're talking about, whether or not that's been preserved, but even just the goings on of a station. Right. And, and oh, right. it's program often- guides. uh, right
3: you know posters from concerts that this the the radio station helped sponsor or or mc or whatever i mean yeah there's there's a lot of that
2: that's the voice of jocelyn robinson project director at the historically black college and university radio station archival survey project we're talking with radio on radio survivor today about preserving the sounds of historically black colleges and universities radio stations um, our guest has informed us that about 30% of the existing HBCUs have radio stations or have had radio stations, so that's like uh, about th- less than three dozen existing possibilities to archive or, or to hear these sounds. And um, what's very exciting about today's topic uh, for me is that the history of radio in this country um, and college radio are extremely um uh, interlinked. And in fact, in a lot of ways, college radio is, is, is really like the, the, the foundational moment of, of radio in the country. And so to think about um, college radio on campuses of historically black colleges and universities, and the you know what, what has gone on at those stations and how, uh, how every story at every station um, is, is such a unique portrait of those communities, uh, it's very exciting. I'm glad that Jocelyn Robinson somebody's on the job now. It's uh mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's a unique but it, it's very interesting that you had to um that you had to, you know, write your own job description to get this job. Someone needed to do it. Uh thank you for thank you for taking up that uh that mantle.
1: Jocelyn, you mentioned you mentioned learning about the first FCC licensed Radio station at an HBCU, so I'm curious if, if what you're if you're looking at radio stations that don't have licenses as well. So are you are you taking a look at 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 schools that might have an online station or that might have have had a carrier current AM unlicensed station in the past, starting in the 1960s, or are you purely focused on stations that have that have FCC licenses?
3: Well, you know, this research has really been the gift that keeps on giving. Um, that's, that's a direction to take, I think, ultimately. Uh, I hadn't planned to look at radio stations that no longer have broadcast licenses uh, during this round of, of research, but I have found that I really needed to do that to get a, a, a better context for, for what I was finding. And I I think that ultimately the streaming stations, low watt stations, you know, all of that sort of thing is another uh, another pass through uh, the 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 research. But uh, I yeah
1: yeah, because a lot of these stations have, you know, they've sort of in college radio they've morphed over the years, and they right. may have started out as carrier current, and then maybe they were able to get an FCC license. And, and so, yeah, that's college radio stations can be quite nimble and take all these different forms. So I'm not surprised that you're starting to notice that as well. Right.
3: But I do want to go back to, to talking about uh, radio stations that no longer exist. And the one that I think is uh, kind of interesting and exciting and I uh, visited on this trip was WDCU, which had been at the the University of the District of Columbia, UDC. And interestingly, they have an archives. Wow. And, uh, WDCU was the premier jazz station mm. in Washington, D.C. for many, many years. And there are a lot of old jazz heads in, in D.C. And uh, it was well-loved, and during the mid nineties, uh, UDC fell on hard times. Uh, there was a, a subsidy that they were no longer getting that caused a huge deficit. Uh, at one point they were unable to start the schools, so the, the, the semester on time. I, I believe it must've been the spring semester and, uh, uh, faculty lost their jobs. It was mm-hmm. a it was a uh, a really dire situation, and they uh, the they decided to sell the, the the license, and they had a buyer. It was a Christian broadcaster, I believe they were commercial, but they were uh, able to somehow finagle a, a the opportunity to purchase a, an educational license, and. It all fell through at the last minute. So the $13 million that the, the uh, university was, was hoping to, uh, to receive on the sale um, was about to, you know, go up in smoke, essentially. And C-SPAN stepped in. And oh. they were, they were the, the next highest bidder. And they decided to go ahead and pay the, the, the higher bidder's uh, uh, price, and they and they bought the station. Mm. So the UDC has uh, a, a pretty good um, and 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 robust archival program, and uh, there is a collection uh, jazz archives at, at UDC now, and the radio stations materials are part of that. So it's not everything, and and, mm-hmm. and it certainly isn't um, uh, something that people are well aware of, but they have many recordings that have been digitized. They have interviews, they have public affairs programming, and they have a lot of of um, three-dimensional materials, um, awards, and, and uh, framed photographs and All sorts of things so it's a a very complete archive of a radio station that no longer exists and even they were uh thrilled to sit down and talk with me um this week because it gave them an opportunity to figure out what to do next with their materials Mm -hmm. and and what the possibilities might be for research for uh public programming for Um, producing, um, as I have done with uh, WYSO's collection. So uh, it was very heartening, because they can also serve as a model for others, too. Here's how you can catalog these materials. Here are your best practices in their their care and, and preservation. So yeah, so it was all good. <laughs> so
0: I, I guess I have questions here about WDCU, which is a station that no longer exists, but was at the University of District of Columbia and a jazz station. Jocelyn Robinson, do you know was this a student-run station? Because my I know a little bit about it. I have some recollections from growing up on the East Coast and traveling a lot to that area. Uh, Or was it more professionally run? Was it or more kind of community and volunteers? I'm trying to I'm I'm always trying to get at this ineffable difference. Right. Between why one station has an archive and another doesn't. And it seems to me that there was some sense there at UDC, University District of Columbia, that they were. Something historical was happening because of its place in the jazz community of that city, as well as uh, probably, arguably, in, in the in the national jazz community. Um, is, is my perception correct? Was was there was there more of that sense of history at that station, in part because of its focus on on jazz, which is such an important uh, music form in the United States in its history?
3: Well, I, th- I believe it was a student-initiated station. They talked about, um, uh, you know, some of its genesis. One, one of the things that I, I have come away f- from this project with is, a, is an interest in seeing stations collect oral histories from those folks who are still around, mm. who were there when the station was in its early years, whether it's still on the air or not. And uh, uh, UDC, at, it, I think, is is looking to do something like that to kind of make the memory of the station come alive. And I think that because it's in the nation's capital, because it's it, it, it has this unique role as the only public HBCU in um, in the district, that there is this this. Uh, acknowledgement of of their their role and their historical role Mm -hmm. and I think when that is present uh preservation uh happens and I think that's very much what was happening with WISO uh Antioch College has always seen itself as as a place that is as unique and and um important to um the the higher education you know universe, and and I, and it's not it's no wonder to me that people there felt that these materials were important and needed to be kept, right? Uh, and I think that one of the things that I I do run into at HBCUs is even though the institution is a keeper of culture, uh, and 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 has that that that. Takes on that mantle so often in, in in the community, and and at the at the institution itself, that you know re- just knowing that that what you do is important, and and worthy of of of, of preservation and worthy of of passing on uh, to generations you know in the future, is. Uh, it's, it's a mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I don't know that um, oftentimes when uh, particularly uh, in the African American community, when, uh, and particularly in the South, that, uh, you know, getting that mindset that, that our materials need to be uh, preserved and protected and celebrated, um, sometimes th- th- it's an uphill uh, struggle for that.
0: And, and Justin Robinson, you are the project director of the Historically Black College University Radio Station Archival Survey Project, and you know, and we've the conversation has come to this point in which we're talking a little bit about, you know, why and how stations, uh, particularly college stations, have an archive, may not have an archive to even go to to even uh, look at and you know you mentioned earlier on that that you worked in administration right you've, you've been at radio stations but you've also worked in administration and I think that that's a side we often leave out because we, we talk much about it, what happens at the radio station right in terms of the student management maybe or professional right, management who makes the radio who makes the radio and whether or not they're saving it but you know the other side of it you as you've mentioned that and one of the relationships that you're trying to foster at, at many of these HBC to use is with you know a university archive which often sits in in a library you know it can sit in different places in in the uh university but you know has ties to the administration and I, and I wonder if you have a sense for why an archive or a university administration college administration isn't you know also isn't paying attention to the radio station it, it you right. know is is it because it's sort of looked at like a student club and right. you know, and, and maybe is uh, not serious and, for, for lack of better. And way one of the it. things that's
2: behind Paul's question today is that um, we've learned on Radio Survivor over the years is that um, a lot of time archives, especially at universities, uh, don't see the radio as part of their task. It, yeah, it's dif- yeah, it's it's it's, right, a, it's right. like a new it's a new it's a new item on the list to preserve sound. Uh, text is more of their uh, historical.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that that's the old school way of archives uh, management, but it's increasingly changing. And it's but it's been a a little slow, you know. Um, But I do think that that is something that's changing as the the digital environment becomes that uh, the environment that is most prevalent um, in terms of the records and information management on a college campus. So there was a time when of the, the that the the archives generally is the place where uh, the institutional records are ingested and when that happens you know th- there could be reams and reams and reams of paper but that's becoming less and less so so that that whole notion that we have to have servers and we have to have computers and we have to have knowledge of metadata and knowledge of of retrieval and uh, all of those kinds of things uh, that archivists didn't have to bother with before, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, th- that those are that's be- increasingly becoming part of the job, and you know, and I don't know if it's because of the ephemeral nature of radio, and if you don't walk into a radio station and see how it works, you may not know, and and so. And also, we're you know, we're in this, this culture now where all of us are documentarians. So we carry around all, you know, archives of our lives in our phones. And that's not how people fought in the past. You know, right. that, that, you know it was that that preservation piece was something that um, and particularly in our um, You know, our American Puritan way of of being that to preserve your own materials, you know, what hubris, you know, to Mm -hmm. to to, uh, preserve something because you did it, you know. So I think that there are all kinds of layers uh, to to the the preservation puzzle, you know, uh, or the preservation question. Uh, And and certainly, um, you know, being humble. And, and, and having humility and feeling like, oh, what I do is not that important mm-hmm. uh, is, is a factor.
2: That leads me to the question, Jocelyn Robinson, have you uncovered any sort of uh, musical programming that's been archived in any decade at all at these historically black colleges and universities?
3: Uh, yes, I have. I haven't listened to it yeah. because we didn't have the capacity to play it back where I where we were but at uh south carolina state there is a uh, sunday morning radio show that features choirs from black churches yeah. in the in the region and they come in live and mm. and perform wow uh, and there's a whole stack of of uh you know a whole spindle of of CDs so there some of them are fairly recent but they go back years and um, and there are a few folks who have recorded their own shows here and there, and have said, "Yes, I have tapes of, of of my of my shows." But that's that's something that does exist. Yes.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking about an episode of Radio Survivor where we spoke with uh, an individual that was running their own, uh, like I don't know, off the books archive. How do we put it? It, it was uh, Ryan McMichael with his hip hop radio archive, where there was just. Um, there's just these bootleg tapes, essentially, that fans had made. Um, sometimes college radio, sometimes community radio, especially of, of hip hop in the late '80s and early '90s, and just you know how it was played that day on the radio by that DJ is really a unique uh, archive. Yeah. Because it's not just the list of songs; it's it's how they're mixed and how they're presented and and what people say about them when they play
0: them. Uh, on that particular day, yeah, Jocelyn. You know, we, we've learned yeah. how that uh, college radio, in particular, played an enormously important role in in the early days of, of hip hop. Um, and I wonder if you've uncovered any connections to to HBCU stations, in particular, through these archives.
3: You know, I haven't really, and I think that's probably because I have been focusing on at risk materials. Mm-hmm. So our conversations have tended to be. Do you have open reel tapes? Do you have cassettes? And um, not really looking to, you know, later formats and um, the music that would have been, you know, naturally going along with that. But that's not to say that that doesn't exist for sure.
1: So Jocelyn, I'm curious what you know. You've been kind of surveying the landscape and visiting stations, and obviously learning that a lot of introductions need to be made between archivists and radio stations. Uh, so what, what's next, what's the next phase for you after you kind of complete this survey?
3: Well, I think, uh, my findings are, uh, as I said, not exactly what I was hoping for, Mm. but I think that it does lay the groundwork for agencies and foundations and, Uh, institutions to begin to to do some thinking around how can we support these stations and these institutions and get something going so the good work that's being done today can be preserved as well as the the legacy of the work that's that's taken place in the past. So I I, I really see it as, as more of a of a, a narrative, uh, a story that needs to be told, as opposed to you know, here's a list of of materials that I found. It's it's exactly. really much much bigger than that.
1: And do you have from these visits? Do you have any immediate advice to college radio stations that have materials lying around? Well, uh, meaning audio materials, so stations talk, that d- might have reel to reels and. Mm-hmm old, yeah, old reel-to-reels that are in a closet somewhere, what should they do?
3: Well, they should take advantage first of the of the expertise that, that exists on their college campuses and and open a relationship with their institutional archives. Even if they don't have time, even if they don't have the expertise as a journey they can start on together, and that's kind of been the, the case in, in, in certain situations. And, uh, you know, the, the the first thing is you know, make sure that it's cool, dry, and dark and and if you can get the material stable, then you have you you buy a little time yeah and 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 can have some conversations about what to do next. And particularly if it's material that is identifiable as to its content, if it's significant, a case can be made to to try to uh, ameliorate the situation for that material as as quickly as possible. So, you know uh as far as the other parts of it are are concerned they don't have time to 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 really undertake uh, you know a, a large scale uh uh you know purge of that storage closet that's that's filled with with boxes of all sorts of things including a bunch of cassettes you know uh so you know part of it is let's all stay in touch Let's figure out how we might be able to pull together some workshops and do some rudimentary uh, trainings on best practices in, in uh, audiovisual archival preservation and, and see what happens. So, and, and, and everyone's been on board, even those who really don't have the time or the, the resources. Um, they know that, that it's, it's an important thing and that the fact that they've been alerted to its importance and and realize their their role in this continuing legacy, this continuing broadcast legacy, then they start to say that you know th- that what I'm doing today is important too. So we have to make a plan for all of this.
1: Are there so you know I, I've visited radio stations where people have told me things to the effect of you don't want to know the sorts of things we've thrown away. Yeah. Um, so have. What sorts of things should people not throw away? <laughs> maybe maybe you can send the you know, battle cry to people about the types of things they should be keeping at radio stations.
3: Well, I guess, you know, any um, material that is that you, you can't play back until you f- figure out what what the content is, don't throw it away. And don't throw away the playback equipment that you have at this point. I was just at Elizabeth City um, State University, and they have uh, cart players. They have at least two huge reel-to-reel machines. Um, they, They have other uh equipment that's in this storage area this offsite storage area that also houses some of their um, media and you know we that the the one of the librarians who has an archives background was a, a part of our our conversation and you know that that material is now not going to be thrown away don't throw it away even if it doesn't work someone might be able to use parts from it for a, uh, another uh, unit that, that actually can be used at a, at a library. And the good thing is that most state archives uh, associations are really good at sharing information. The Society of American Archivists is good at sharing information. There's listservs for all of them. You can, you can find somebody who can resurrect an old piece of equipment uh, or you at least try to find somebody who can re- resurrect an old piece of equipment. And there's another institution that may be able to help you out with playback to figure out what you got. So, I mean, I think part of it is don't feel like you exist in a, in a vacuum. There's a, 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 an incredible network of, of, of institutions and people who can and will uh, help if, if, you know, they know that there's a need. I think archivists are some of the, the, the most generous generous colleagues I've ever worked with. So, um, you know, don't, don't throw it away until you talk to somebody, no matter what it is.
2: Jocelyn Robinson, you're the project director at the Historically Black Colleges and University Radio Station Archival Survey Project. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor to scratch the surface of preserving the
0: sounds of HBCU radio.
3: Thanks. It's been my pleasure.
0: Jennifer, thanks again uh, for getting a hold of Jocelyn Robinson uh, for that amazing interview. And, and, and we covered so much, I think, about college and community radio um, in general and about this, this pressing question of preserving the legacy, in addition to, obviously, uh, the topic at hand, which was preserving the legacy at historically black colleges and universities
1: yeah i'm I'm really excited about these these partnerships that I, I I think she's starting to form here at at individual stations and universities. And I think it's it's really the first step and and a step that can and be, it can be an example for many other college radio stations, community radio stations just to get these conversations started about preserving your history and preserving your present. and I, I really like that. I appreciate that she understands the challenges not only with preserving the past, but also preserving current content. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're living through very interesting times right now, and college radio stations around the country uh, are certainly
0: worth listening to uh, now and in the future. Well, we covered a lot of territory on this interview, uh, so if you want to kind of go uh, dig deeper uh, on a lot of the topics and a lot of the advice that was given out you can go visit our show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast it's also of course where you can listen to this episode and all the past 200 plus episodes of Radio Survivor which is available every week and that's where you can learn how to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever your favorite way to listen to podcasts are Uh, of course you may also be enjoying us there on a on your local community radio station. And we really appreciate uh, that you tune in and support your local community radio station. If you have any comments about the show, please send them to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I'll also note that this is a listener and reader supported enterprise. To learn more about that, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support.